Welcome to How We Got. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to How We Got Here, a podcast from FKG Consulting in partnership with Nondoc.com. I'm Trace Savage, the editor of Nondoc Media, and I'm here with two members of FKG's team, Brian Freed and Spencer Gwynn. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Great. Doing good. Good. Uh, This is episode two of our endeavor. We're learning along the way. And uh, if you didn't catch our first episode, or for those who didn't catch it, could you guys each tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, Brian, you were on episode one. Spencer, this is your inaugural mission on this uh, strange trip we're on. Uh, I'm Brian Freed, FKG Consulting, a partner at FKG Consulting. I've been lobbying since 1999 at the Oklahoma Legislature. And I'm Spencer Gwynn, a partner with FKG Consulting as well. I've been lobbying since, uh, I believe it was 2002 was the first year I was a registered lobbyist, and I uh, did a little bit of work in um, politics prior to uh, prior to that time. But but he's much older than I am, yeah. even though yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've been lobbying longer. Yeah, yeah you yeah. can't see, but he's just peppered yeah. with gray. Peppered with gray. Um, lines of, you know, on his on his face from all the bills that he's had to deal with. Uh, I'm Trace Savage, like I said, editor of Nondoc. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here uh getting this information out there and trying to have some discussions uh, about specific things. This week, we've decided to talk about Step Up Oklahoma, which is the large revenue and reform package that was created from uh, discussions in the business community as an attempt to bring an end to the ongoing struggles of the state to find a fix for budget problems and maybe come along with some really good uh, uh, or, or, or some long discussed uh, reforms as well. So uh, I wanted to go ahead and uh, ask Brian if you can um, tell us a little bit about who is behind Step Up Oklahoma, uh, the folks who have endorsed this, the the interest groups that are involved. Uh, you represent some specific clients, uh, but obviously this is a large coalition that has a lot of people hoping a, a deal gets done. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, kind of the how we got here aspect of of, uh, of this story is that the Oklahoma legislature has attempted for the last year to try to raise revenues, and we went through multiple special sessions in order to try to get that done. Uh, those all failed, as we all know. Um, hopefully you'll go back and listen to our last podcast and talk about the difficulties of getting a 75% majority threshold in the House and Senate for passage. Uh, and so uh, it's no surprise that these measures have failed up until this point in multiple special sessions leading into the point in which we are today. Uh, a group of business leaders came together and formed Step Up Oklahoma. Some of the probably who's who of Oklahoma businesses came together and they put forth uh, a plan. And it is endorsed at this point in time. I think it's it's important to point out this was a group of business leaders that came together put forth a plan, and then a lot of people have come on after the fact to endorse the plan. Healthcare leaders. Everything from hospitals and doctors to nursing homes uh, to the uh, OEA, Oklahoma Education Association, uh, to uh, transportation groups and on down. A lot of groups that have, uh, uh, you know, interest in funding at the Capitol have all come together. 
Uh, oil and gas groups uh, also are, are part of this uh, coalition. So it's a broad coalition, uh, and it's uh, pretty diverse. And it's any and it's a big package too. Uh, this is not um, uh, two or three items. This is a whole list of things and some things that have been discussed for a long time. It is similar in nature uh, to the pan the the plan that got the closest to. Uh, 76 votes in the House uh, on November 8th, I believe it was, uh, what was referred to as Plan A+. And that included uh, a a list of things. Uh, This plan has a couple things added to that, as well as some other bills uh, that include sort of government modernization and constitutional changes. Um, Without getting too far into it, it could be a lengthy ballot uh, for people in 2018 when they go to vote. But Brian, maybe you can also tell us a little bit about what is in this plan, what components exist. Absolutely. Uh, This would be a very large revenue package that uh, I think a lot of the people who endorse this plan would say is much needed for Oklahoma because of the past revenue failures. But some of the items in this revenue package are pretty diverse. It's a $1.50 cigarette tax uh, uh, to be assessed, as well as uh, included in this one that was not in the previous one. They've added chewing tobacco and little cigars and I've had to learn what little cigars are because I didn't really realize there was a distinction. But tiny cigars, just the, yeah. tiny, yeah, it's just like a little <laughs> just, guy. There's, yeah, there's exactly. a, Winston uh, Churchill, a small one of him. It also uh, increases the gross production tax from two to four uh, percent. That that was part of the uh, A plus plan. Uh, a six cent uh, increase in the gasoline tax that was also part of the A plus plan. Uh, but then a few things that are new to this plan. It is a tax on uh, zero emission facilities, uh, which is Uh, wind, solar, uh, any of those type of uh, facilities. Uh, Gaming modernization is included in this package, uh, which which for our listeners, the definition of gaming modernization is adding ball and dice games to the casinos in the Native American uh, uh, casinos across the state. Uh, And then uh, we also had, there's a cap on the zero emission facilities. We'll go into a little bit about what that means and how those credits work, uh, as well as uh, they cap coal credits and cap railroad credits. So bottom line is, is that it, the package itself, the revenue package itself, uh, raises uh, uh, right around $700 million in, in new revenue. Uh, and the big item that this package is going to help pay for is a $5,000 teacher pay raise. In addition to that, there are multiple reform measures that the Step Up Oklahoma group insisted uh, that they have. Uh, one of them, uh, which is, is very interesting considering our last podcast, we talked about how the 75% threshold that the voters passed uh, in the early 90s in Oklahoma is such a difficult impediment to overcome. One of the reform measures would be to lower that threshold from 75% to 60%. Uh, and there's a lot of other ones, including revising term limits, changing them from 12 years to 16 years. Uh, put having the governor and lieutenant governor run on the same ballot. Uh, there's some Supreme Court reform. They they want to uh, uh, create uh, some agencies uh, in Oklahoma. Most agencies are and agency directors are selected by boards and commissions. And in Oklahoma, what we've done is uh, in this plan, they have eight of the largest uh, agencies in which they'd be direct appointments by the governor. Uh, so a lot of those things, one other last thing I would add that, that is, fast, is uh, an interesting entity is legislators have, have complained in the past about the fact 
that they don't have an independent analysis on the fiscal impact of bills. They are required that they, they so rely on each individual agencies to give them that. So a part of this would be uh, essentially creating an independent research and budget arm for the legislature so that they could assess those uh, type of revenue packages. You did a really great job of explaining a lot of that. There's even so much more really involved in all this. And it does pose a bit of a uh, a difficulty for people um, looking at multiple bills and trying to look at every little component that's in there. Uh, but I think getting down to it, um, Lawmakers Monday, uh, the uh, 12th, I believe it would be, um, is, is going to be a vote in the House of Representatives, which has 101 members. Uh, Three-fourths of that is required to pass a revenue plan uh, would be 76. Not all of the components mentioned are 76 vote measures, but the largest bill, House Bill 1033 double X, meaning I guess it's supersized, supersized, yeah. right. Um, and uh, that would be uh, the big bill that everybody's going to be watching Monday. It's going to be a crowded capital, surely. And Spencer, maybe you can talk a little bit about the politics of trying to get a, a package this size through the door. Yeah, I you know, I, I, 1033 is is the is the big bill that everybody is clearly going to be waiting on, and I think the the, the politics around it really revolve around the fact that it requires 76 votes. Um, so the Republicans have 72 members in the House of Representatives. They don't have enough members to, um, to to completely get that that 76 themselves. So this is going to have to be a bipartisan bill and um, a bipartisan uh, vote in order to get to that that magic number of, of, of 76. I think that really is the politics of this. How do you get to 76 when one party is not in in a position to bring 76 full votes? And um, uh, and then you, you get into the nuances of what the proposal of 1033 brings to the table, uh, the increase in the gross production tax, the increase in the um, uh, cigarette tax, the increase in the motor fuels and diesel tax, and the increase or, or the establishment of a $1 per megawatt hour wind production tax that are all in 1033. And, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's numerous pieces of politics around all of that. Um, groups and, and legislators who support those those industries and don't want to see those taxes increased or or established in in the case of the wind it uh, doesn't situation. it doesn't necessarily get easier the more components there are into a bill like this uh, if this were just a straight up or down vote uh, on one of these components uh, it would be different than it is as a package that said um, the state has, for those viewers uh, or listeners who have uh, been tuned out to politics, which is in some ways understandable, um, the state has been running a budget shortfall for several years. Uh, teachers have not gotten a pay raise for even more years than that. And there's uh, been a, a consistent call from the governor uh, in the sort of latter part of her uh, career or her time as governor to reform in one way or another the state's revenue system. This would do that in a grand sense. One, one fail swoop. At the same time, there's a lot of argument about the details. Um, probably the two most contentious components uh, are the energy taxes. 
raising the gross production incentive rate from 2% to 4% on newly spudded oil and gas wells uh, over the first 36 months, and then also um, adding this new tax on wind uh, production. Um, I'll toss it in the air. One of you guys take one of those. One of you take the other one. Let's talk. Let's get into the weeds of energy taxes. Well, I'd like to uh, take a, um, a a second here to just kind of talk about the the politics around that. You know, when when you talked about the A plus plus plan that we ran before, it was no secret that the oil and gas industry opposed that plan that raised gross reduction taxes from two to four percent. One of the questions that people ask here is the the oil and gas industry has endorsed this plan. Why have they endorsed this plan, but they were opposed to the A++ package? And the answer to that is that, uh, number one, a, a lot of the people that are backing this, uh, that are oil and gas uh, business leaders in the state of Oklahoma, have wanted some of the reform measures that are attached to this and think that they are, they are reforming government, so they feel a little bit better about investing additional tax dollars into reforming something. I think that's, that's one component of it. The other component of it is, is the wind tax and the fact that that uh, uh, oil and gas, I think, has has stated that they are uh, willing to increase their taxes if this burden is is uh, um, you know spread out a little more evenly among the uh, the energy groups. And so, uh, I think the, pro- the the complicating part here, and I want Spencer to talk about this, is that the wind. Uh, credits and the wind taxation system in Oklahoma is a very difficult nut to crack and you really need to take a little bit of a deep dive in order to put it in context. Well and and I think it's also you know a third part of that we talked a little bit earlier is that there is also a proposal for a state question state question 795 uh, which is which could be withdrawn if this but proposal the group passes. Has, the group who's pushed that has stated that they would withdraw that if this uh, yeah, well, if this I, passes. It, yeah. It, uh, you always got to read between the lines well, of press sure, releases, right? Sure. I mean, I think they said they would probably, probably do it, but, you know, right. um, never, and, and, never and, trust a politician or a political consultant. Right? And, and there's some risk associated with that because yeah. uh, there's nothing that prohibits anybody from bringing an initiative petition. And the way in which that initiative petition was written uh, it didn't. It, it essentially said it's going to add an additional five percent, uh, which basically meant if this goes from two to four, uh, and and they they did not follow through on their commitment to pull this measure, the tax could effectively go to nine percent instead of seven percent. So right. it, it, there's there is risk involved in that. There's uncertainty, which has has a lot of people in the oil and gas community even a little worried about that. But but they are moving forward with the the step of Oklahoma plan. I think to really get into weeds or maybe in the wells, there was a component of House Bill 1033 that affects when a well is restarted. Uh, and that, I believe, is a little more likely to affect uh, the sort of older vertical wells that uh, are, are- The stripper wells. The stripper wells that are more likely owned by some of the people who were behind that state question. So there's there's a million little nuances and things. We're trying to get it right without being too general or really getting super specific uh, in all those details. Um, so that's really what's at, at stake in the in the gross production side of it for oil and gas. Uh, there's, there's sort of those three reasons that um, the industry has taken a shift from opposing 
uh, on November 8th, Plan A Plus, to supporting this plan now. And, and we, we're going to talk about this a little more in a minute, but it is interesting on November 8th, uh, OYPA and Continental and some other oil and gas companies had employees up there asking the day of the vote, please do not raise my raise taxes on this industry, don't cost my job, et cetera, et cetera. And now, come Monday, uh, they may have people up there saying, please pass this plan. Um, so that's a little bit of an interesting uh, uh, situation uh, as well. Spencer, you're going to, I guess, talk about the wind generation component because, as Brian said, that's a big um, a requirement for the, the, the OIPA and OCOGA to come on board because they see some um, what would be a good word for it? Unfairness uh, in terms of how wind energy has gotten some tax credits over the years and has had the state sort of pay uh, ad valorem taxes for the industry in the beginning of it starting up. Yeah, so it's it's a piece of, of House Bill 1033 is to establish a $1 per megawatt hour production tax on the production of electricity by way of a zero emission facility, a, a wind turbine in this case. Um, there's about 24 million megawatts of uh, electricity generated in the state of Oklahoma, or there was in 2017, if I remember correctly. So it would generate about a $24 million figure, um, positive figure for incoming revenue for, for the state to realize uh, by way of the passage of that $1 per megawatt hour tax. The, the rub is, the zero emission tax credit that has, uh, well, and the five-year ad valorem uh, exemption uh, on the, the zero emission facilities that have uh, received um, uh, ad valorem taxes paid by the uh, ad valorem reimbursement fund, which is funded by the general revenue fund of the state of Oklahoma. Um, so you have you have petroleum companies who yeah. feel like they're paying in gross production taxes and that are, then that are that being money paid out by the to to the to the to paid out to, to the to wind, wind companies. companies. Right, now wind companies. it's important to note that those tax credits uh, no longer exist for new new uh, uh, facilities, wind facilities going in uh, now. But they are there are some still. I believe it was uh, effective seven one of seventeen was yeah. when the when the credit. Ended so anything prior to that received 10 years worth of zero emission tax credit. Um, anything uh, in production after that was not going to or not able to receive the zero emission tax credit. And I Which think there I think are some a, federal. And that, and they have that was an issue this well. last week actually that that came up with um, uh, Treasurer Ken Miller, who asked a question um, of uh, Tony Maston at the Oklahoma Tax Commission around. Some of these claims that were made around the by, by the wind industry, who said, "No, our credits have have gone away." Um, so Ken Miller asked uh, Tony Maston, "You know what? What's the facts here?" And Tony Maston responded with him and said, "The credits have ended, and they are no more, uh, no longer able to be earned prospective, but they will be paid out." I believe the letter said until FY 2028. If I if I remember correctly from from Tony Maston's letter to State Treasurer Ken Miller, um, so it, it that that brought maybe some clarity to that particular situation, um, and I think the the hope by the step up plan is that the the one dollar per megawatt hour tax and the the bill that would cap the zero emission or or the the all refundable tax credits. Um, 
uh, would um, cap it at ten. I think it was eighteen million is what the cap would be on. Yeah, that. I, I don't remember the bill number right off the top of my head, but it would cap it at eighteen million dollars per year. And the hope is is that that credit will begin to pay for itself over time, and it's more of a budget stabilization piece for the state. A revenue neutral uh, would be the term that's often used at the capital um, trade-off there so that the state would know exactly how much money is going out the door and have an idea and a sense of how much is, is, is coming in in the form of revenue. That's, credits are, uh, sorry, credit, credits are confusing because people uh, don't understand when you use the term credits, tax rates, incentives, uh, those are not all synonymous uh, terms. They are, they are different under the tax law. Uh, in this case, the tax credits are credits that uh, that are earned by wind generation facilities by by producing electricity. Uh, it is not a tax write-off based upon the income that you are paying into your taxes, like a lot of us think of. You know, we we file our own income taxes and we have deductions that come come from that, and we can reduce you know tax burden based upon. Uh, you know, deductions that you may have. That's not what a credit is. A credit, and, and in this case, a refundable credit, can mean that the state of Oklahoma is paying money to corporations beyond their tax liability. And, you know, I think that's a, an important distinction uh, that's being made here is because uh, the, the tax commission has stated that they are uh, in the neighborhood of paying out 60 to 70 million dollars just in the zero emission uh, tax credit to, to these corporations, uh, which is, which would be above the tax liability that they even have in the state. In addition to that, uh, they also have a five-year ad valorem uh, reimbursement rate that the the way in which in the state of Oklahoma under law is so that so that counties and schools uh, for for uh, property tax exemptions are not harmed. The state of Oklahoma years ago created an ad valorem reimbursement fund. So they take money out of the general revenue fund, put it in the special fund to go reimburse counties. Uh, about 15 years ago, that fund was about um, eight to to $15 million a year. This year, that fund is going to need to be around $92 million. And the the driver of the growth is paying those counties back for the wind generation ad valorem exemption. And that's a, that's a big piece. Well, I, I think another thing that's important to mention about that, uh, Brian was talking about essentially the values there, the $1 per megawatt hour tax on the zero emission facilities um, is is about 20% of what the zero emission facilities earn by way of the tax credit. So the, 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 the tax credit earns $5 per megawatt hour, and the tax would, would cost $1 per megawatt hour, so 20%. Um, it's, it's a net loss of $4 per megawatt hour to the state, um, and, and then the state hopefully recaptures some of that if all of these measures pass by way of the cap on the tax credit. But I think that, that the distinction there in the value of the cost of the tax and the value of the credit is a pretty important distinction to make. Um, the tax is 20%, literally 20% of the cost of the value of, of, of the credit. And this is why this is so hard and, and really difficult to have a lot of 
um, robust conversations about these things because this is very difficult. 20-year-old me somewhere in the time warp is rolling his eyes and wondering how I got here to be on a podcast talking about you know taxes, tax credits, and, and ad valorem exemptions. The other element of this that is really complicated as well is that the, the wind industry folks will argue that there's a different taxation in place in terms of ad valorem that they pay uh, or, or will be paying once those you know, uh, exemptions are, are over versus what oil and gas pays. And there's a claim sort of that uh, it's, it's not right or potentially maybe even legal to double, double tax an asset. That's where the rub exists. And that's, and right. And so, um, which I mean, did, and this is just a joke. I mean, my, I, I thought of this the other night that, well, it, totally you can double tax a wind turbine because they're twice as tall as everything else right i mean but i, I mean I, I, that's totally a joke um no you but you've hit on it i mean that's that's a that is a, a claim that has been made uh and it's a claim that that have certainly has resonated with some some legislators uh you know i i think it's important to point out one uh the the wind groups uh, this past week came out and, and stated they paid 74 million dollars in property taxes in 2017 uh to uh you know and that that was their economic impact uh, however 80 percent of that 74 million dollars was paid out of the ad valorem reimbursement fund so the state of oklahoma picked up 80 percent of that tab uh, and, and 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 the ad valorem reimbursement fund is funded by the general revenue fund uh, which is the, the fund that the legislature uses to fund the majority of, of government. So all of those groups that receive funding from the General Revenue Fund, um, in, in their minds, there's $60 million that there's, they're no longer able to go and argue, hey, we would like that to be able to provide our service because it's going to pay for the ad valorem tax. And gross reduction tax is a, is a tax essentially in you know technically uh, it's true that it is a tax in lieu of an ad valorem and what they mean by that is is that we're not assessing the actual value of the oil and gas in the ground and instead we're taxing um, the the production when they pull it out of the ground that's what a gross reduction tax is however oil and gas companies do also pay property taxes on their equipment that is is out in those counties generating uh, uh, the, the oil and gas and that they're pulling out. Pipelines and things like exactly. that. Exactly. And, and the thing that the industries can agree on is that they both like their manufacturing sales tax exemption, right? So trying to find common ground here. Um, that's a joke. You guys are... <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, clearly you guys represent wind companies, right? Uh, uh, no, no. And so you... I mean, so for a little bit of perspective on, you know, you guys represent um, oil and gas companies, nursing homes... Um, some other groups who are, you know, sort of involved in, in the step-up plan. But this isn't an easy situation for any of them. A, a lot of everybody would way rather there's another solution. But sure. just like in November and, and just like now, and uh, there, there's, there's really a situation where this is what's before the house. Yeah, there, there's a lot of, there's always a hand-wrangling about uh, complaining about what's in the plan. Uh, you know, like I said, I've been lobbying since 1999. Rarely has there ever been a 
perfect piece of legislation that's going going through. They're, they're all compromised pieces of legislation. That's just a part of the process. If it was, th- that's part of a democracy. Uh, if it wasn't, you know, we would have dictators and, and they could they could just write one piece of legislation. It just doesn't work that way. And so, uh, for instance, we represent uh, the largest uh, association of nursing home providers in the state. 70 to 75 percent of all of their residents are dependent upon Medicaid funding in the state of Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Health Care Authority uh, audited costs state that uh, nursing homes are reimbursed $20 below what it actually costs to take care of those residents. So those nursing homes are for any of these revenue packages, but they were for just the tobacco tax because that's what it was for. This thing has grown way, uh, way beyond that. Uh, it's safe to say nursing homes don't have a skin in the game as it relates to oil and gas or wind or gasoline tax or any of that type Teacher of stuff. Pay sure, or... absolutely. But, but they, they feel like that this is the best opportunity that they have to possibly uh, get some revenue and try to make up for the cuts that they have had to take uh, uh, over the last five, six, seven years. Had to take further cuts uh, this, this past year this past year, and and the healthcare authority, which manages the state's Medicaid program, uh, doesn't have enough money to to operate past April as we stand. We another complicating factor is this: we are te- technically in a special session right now, considering this proposal, uh, which is because the state hasn't finished its fiscal year budget for this fiscal year. Yeah. So so that's year. why you know people have been saying, why is this being considered now in February? Well, we haven't figured out the rest of our fiscal year that ends June 30th. That's right. So, um, and you, you, you made a good point, and I, I want to I uh, add another element that has really been added in the last month. It's a, a new wrinkle that easily makes the budget uh, situation even worse. The, uh, uh, a couple of new wrinkles. The health care authority, because of the veto, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, well, because of the governor's veto, yes, in, in the first special session, but also because of the Supreme Court throwing out the cigarette fee uh, that we talked about on the, on the last episode. Uh, the Oklahoma Health Care Authority, who is the agency that does Medicaid dollars in the state of Oklahoma, they're going to run out of money uh, in, uh, by the end of April. The, uh, in Oklahoma, our fiscal year runs from July to the end of the June. That means that the, they're going to have to get emergency funding just to make it through the remainder of this fiscal year. And and what's happened to them in the last month is is that the flu epidemic uh, is a lot higher than they had anticipated for or, or banked for, and therefore the money uh, that is costing the healthcare authority is is much higher. And also a a real blow to the state. Uh, occurred when the federal government uh, kind of unexpectedly uh, late in the uh, in the winter uh, in, in November and December sent letters to the Oklahoma Health Care Authority, the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University stating that the federal government was no longer going to pay for graduate medical training for our teaching hospitals in Oklahoma. And so the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State uh, are faced with potentially having to shut down the residency programs in the state of Oklahoma because of the federal government. We're talking about $78 million in the this current fiscal year uh, and an additional $62 million in the next fiscal year. So these are the type of things that these revenue packages are going to try to help solve uh, as far as crisis goes. And even though the another complicating element is that the state is actually going to have to find that funding early because it's 90 days before a new tax takes effect in terms of collection for people to 
oppose or protest. If we go back to our last podcast, we talked about House Bill 1017 that passed in the early 90s, and there was a, a challenge, an attempt to put it on the ballot to repeal that. And I've heard people saying there's quite likely going to be something like that happens again uh, if this passes on on Monday. So let's talk about that. If this passes on Monday, uh, where do we go from there? Uh, and and how is it going to have to pass? Because you you talked Spencer earlier, 76 votes needed. Republicans have 72 members. That means they would at least need four Democrats. But in reality, they're going to need more than that because you have uh, several Republicans who are just adamantly opposed to major tax increases, um, sort of a tenet of, of Republican politics for a long time. And then you also have some Republicans who are in western Oklahoma who are not very pleased with the wind uh, proposal. They see it as punitive, and in their districts, um, wind is very popular and has, has, has really helped uh, their communities. So it could take 15 Democrats, 20 Democrats, uh, it, could, it could take more than that. And, and the question is, where are they going to stand? So if this passes, how is it going to pass, and then what does that mean? Well, I think the important thing is to take a step back from that and, and mention that 1033 is the only bill that will require 76 Correct. votes. The, Correct. the remainder of the bills that they'll be voting on on Monday are simple measures, simple majority measures uh, that require 51 votes. I believe in in the first special session, I believe it was was it House Bill 1054 that was uh, the Plan A plus something like that. There yeah. were 54 Republicans, if I remember correctly, who voted for House Bill 1054. So I, I think the assumption is is that there's a likelihood to get those same fit uh, 54 Republicans to vote for House Bill 1033. And then that leaves the remainder, what would that be, 22, I guess, Democrats who would need to join um, out of the 28 in the Democrat caucus, unless there are additional Republicans who, who are able to, uh, are willing to, to vote for House Bill 1033. Yeah, I think it was actually a different, it, was, it wasn't quite 54 because there were 22 Democrats. We, ha- we have one of our other team members down at the end of the table flashing Giving the hand us some signs, statistics. And I can't. 55, 55 Republicans. Okay. 35. 35. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, in anyway, uh, the, but, but I do think the fifty-four. If you're looking at Republicans, that's three quarters. Fifty-four of the Republican is seventy-five percent of the Republican caucus. Right. I think that's somewhat of a magic number. Right. If you see fifty-four Republicans go on the board uh, and they've delivered seventy-five percent of their caucus, if the Democrats could deliver seventy-five percent of their caucus, then I think that you know that this plan can can you, get over the yeah. Uh, you reach hump. you reach the number at that point. Well, and I think that the, the Democrats would argue that, that they did deliver 75% of their caucus last time. They delivered, I believe it was 22. Correct. Uh, 22 or 23. Yep. Um, and so Republicans delivered, you know, shy of 75%. Shy of seven. That's true. That's so true. So the, the, you know, their question is, or I think it's a question is, are Democrats going to support this at the same level, or is there you know, not as much of a hurry perceived publicly this time, and are there more things in there that are unpalatable, like the wind tax, like the the b- sort of bizarre adjustment of the, I don't want to say bizarre, but complicated adjustment of the uh, standard deduction and, and all these sorts of things. Um, it's really not going to be that simple. If this passes, it would then go to the Senate. 
If it passes the House, I see very little way that it doesn't pass the Senate. I don't think any senator would then want to turn around and be like, I'm the one who said no, and now we start all over again. I'm pretty sure it passes the Senate. I believe they had 37 votes um, on the Plan A+, and the Senate 37 is what I believe the number was. But I do think it's important. I'm going to address for just a second where I think maybe— uh, you know, the Democrats kind of arguments. And I think Spencer should talk a little bit about the politics, about the Republicans and the difficulty of getting, um, you know, getting a, of Republicans voting for a tax increase uh, with elections coming up. I think the Democrats believe, uh, you know, they have their own ideas of what they would like to see uh, uh, put in here. Uh, the, the, the plan does add an earned income tax credit uh, that the uh, Democrats have asked for in the past. The refundability, uh, the refundability piece um, to get reinstated. Uh, so, you know, that's been added to the plan. The Democrats who typically have clamored for more revenue uh, have, have you know, so far not stepped up to support this package. And uh, th- that's not true for all of them. Uh, there are some uh, Democrats in that caucus who have broken ranks and, and have voted for this. But by and large, they're holding out right now. And I think that is the key component going into Monday. Uh, one, one thing that I think should be addressed is I believe this is the last vote. I believe this is it. And I think that the, there are some Democrats that are holding out hope, thinking that there's going to be a better plan put up, that something's more palatable to them. But in all of the discussions that I have had with leadership and others, they have stated if this fails, they are moving on. They're closing the books on these attempts to try to raise revenue, and we're going to move on. And that's, that piece, I think, is uh, important. Because if you're the Republican caucus, you don't want to keep putting your Republican members up ahead of a primary over and over and over again voting for tax measures. At the same time, the only reason to, cre- to incorporate as Step Up Oklahoma is to spend money. And they're spending some money right now on non-doc sometimes. Thank you. Uh, they're spending money right now to push for this to happen. But there's also uh, the potential that, let's say this falls two votes short. Let's say this falls three votes short. Um, I'm not sure that the Step Up Oklahoma Coalition has come this far and endorsed what they've endorsed and, and spent the money they've spent not to go out and try to persuade some people, go to districts and say, this representative is one of three people needed to make this pass, to get a $5,000 teacher pay raise, to do X, Y, and Z. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that this is the last vote. If it only gets 65 or 66 yeses, then I think that's quite possible. If it sits at 72 or 73, I would be shocked if they didn't go and beat some people up. Um, so that was kind of answering the question of what, what, it fail, what if it fails. I might be wrong. Do you see that as a possibility, Spencer? I, I think that it, it's the, 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 the outcome of, of what happens if it fails, I think, hinges entirely upon how many people are voting for the, the, um, uh, the bill on, on Monday. If, if, you're, if you're close um, to, to the 76 number, then I, I suspect that there will be a, um, a request of some more time to to um, to get some votes if if it's 10 12 votes short uh, you know I, I I don't know exactly how the the step up group will handle it at that point they have some very savvy people who are leading the way there and and know exactly what they're doing so um, I think that it's all going to hinge upon the number of people and um, I, I think that'll also hinge upon the number of legislators who vote a certain way yes or no and then they keep that yes or no vote up on that board 
um, before it's closed out. Well, Does one, anybody one of, change one, their vote? And, um, and one of the things, one of the things that I uh, would like to point out that that I'm basing uh, Trace, I think my belief that you know we're kind of at this point of of uh, vote for this or move on, is because legislative bodies are typically not proactive bodies they're reactionary bodies and they are reacting to a crisis in the state of Oklahoma and the crisis has been uh, lack of funding budget shortfalls all those type of things well if you're reading what is coming out of the straight state treasurer's reports uh, the economy is improving in Oklahoma collections are coming up and they're coming up pretty dramatically I think the longer this goes on and the economy improves and you know it's a very possibility that we'll be able to balance this budget this year without even any new revenue uh, I think that that you you could see the window closing for an opportunity to raise revenue because the pressure goes off a little bit. Now, you may be able to balance the budget, but you're not going to be able to do a five thousand dollar teacher pay raise. You're not going to be able to restore all the cuts that have occurred to the healthcare providers across the state of Oklahoma uh, and to the education groups and all those kind of groups. So, uh, I, I that's to me the real kind of window that I see is closing. You're right. If they get really close. Uh, they would go hammer some people and try to try to turn this on, and it's kind of down to count it down to every vote, Spencer. I mean, we even got some interesting races going on. Right? Well, yeah, and I, that's where where I was going to go with it. I, th- I think that it's it. You know, there's there's two really interesting things to mention. Is one Representative Scott Biggs uh, resigned um, over the over the interim, and uh, his seat will be filled in a general election on March sixth, um, and Representative Casey Murdoch who represents the majority of the panhandle, the three uh, westernmost states in, in Oklahoma and in the, in the panhandle, is running for the state Senate seat that was held by Senator Bryce Marlatt. I believe that election date is on Tuesday of this week, uh, so the day after the, the, the magical day of, of the vote. So uh, if Representative Murdoch is, is successful and becomes Senator Murdoch, then you have two vacancies for a period of time for about a, a little over a month, a little bit less than a month um, in the state house. And um, then it would be Senator Murdoch in the, in the Senate and his vote would go across the, the building. So it changes the dynamics and the numbers if you, if you have those, those, those votes that are, that are out there and open for a period of time. If it passes Monday and, and Representative Murdoch wins his Senate seat, he could conceivably vote for vote it twice. twice. He could vote for <laughs> well, $1.6 billion yeah. in, in I, I think I, I think that it takes a little bit more time before he would actually be sworn in in the Senate, but but they may have to have that they vote, and, that vote and would, would hold that vote until yeah. he were sworn in, if that were the case, based okay. on where he is. So let's have one final question. How long do you think they will hold the vote open Monday afternoon? What's an over-under figure? An hour? Well, I'm taking the over if, that, if, that's, if yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I'd take the over as and, well. And, and you, may, you may explain hold the vote open for our listeners, what that means. Yeah, so um, when after de- there'll probably be two hours worth of questions and debate combined. Um, there'll probably be a lot of motions um, uh, from a man whose name sounds a lot like Cherry Man, um, to try to extend debate and have it go a long time. I say that in, in, in good faith or good fun. Um, to have a longer debate, to have three hours of debate. Um, but they can hold the vote open. They can start it, light it up. Green means yes, red means no. They can hold that open until midnight of the day. So uh, they, that means if they get to 75, 
people are out there working. You guys will be out there working to try to get one person to flip from red to green to help pass it over. Um, it's also conceivable that if, uh, let's say, it's been open for a couple hours and it looks like it's not going to pass, people might fall off. Politically, that's probably a dumb idea. Um, but there's also people who might walk it. There are people that may walk it. And, you know, uh, another thing that maybe some of our listeners don't realize is that uh, if you if you are not present in the chamber for a, something like this, they can order the highway patrol to go and, and go find legislators and bring them back into the building. So as long as they're in the state, they yes. have to be in state borders. So, so there's a lot of theatrics that could, could go along, but you know, my, my guess is, is that we're going to be ordering pizza in the Capitol and going late into the night. And I hope that means, uh, well, some some anonymous person should order pizza for the press gallery. Uh, we'll just leave it with that. Uh, the last thing is that obviously, uh, if it let's say it fails by a couple of votes, uh, they'll they'll cap- capture it in a motion to, uh, for reader consideration later, so that if it if they want to bring it back up, they can. Um, but possibly there's a lot even on, later that day. Possibly even later that day. Possibly later that week. So there's a lot that can go on. We could have talked for another hour. I think we went over our intended time period. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We hope to come back with some some other uh, really interesting topics about Oklahoma government. Uh, Brian, Spencer, thank you so much for uh, being here today, and uh, I'll see you shortly. Um, Those of you who are listening, uh, please subscribe to us on either Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pocket Casts, and then rate and review us as well. That helps us get this podcast spread around a little bit more. Again, this is how we got here from nondoc.com and FG, FKG Consulting. And well, well, rate and review us if you like us. If you right. don't, then, you know. If you don't, write a letter to the editor and we'll run it on nondoc. <laughs> you can yell at us. How We Got Here is a presentation of FKG Consulting in association with nondoc.com. Produced and edited by Bryce Holland. For more information, visit fkgconsulting.com and nondoc.com. Thank you.